you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9 today, Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 22. But as we get there, we, uh, I want to ask a question. I, well, not ask a question. First, I want to express some gratitude. Uh, if you were here with us last week after our second service, uh, you were part of something that had not happened for me, and that's like a genuine surprise uh, that was really, really powerful. And so it was great because you know me, I'm like, all right, you are prayed for, cared for, and loved, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. And, you know, once I finish, I'm like, let's go. And Thomas is like, we have more. I'm like, what's going on? And so uh, really, really appreciative of your um, the many of you who gave really kind words and encouraging words, uh, gave generous gifts that blessed me and my family. Uh, we are so very thankful and I'm very blessed to be the pastor and pastor's family here at our church. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I was able to graduate this past Friday. I got all my schoolwork done. I walked and um, no, it's fine. Please, more, no. Uh, it was, it was a lot, but I'm so grateful, and, and my family, Steph, the girls deserve a lot of credit for coming alongside me in the midst of this journey. But again, we wanna, I wanted to thank each and every one of you, and I was joking with some of the people earlier um, in the week that on the one hand, knowing that so many of you were part of that was so encouraging and uplifting, and the gifts that you gave were so sweet with those words and, and all those things. So that's the first thought. And the second thought was, I'm surrounded by people who are really good at being deceitful because no one said anything. No, Um, I'm joking. Of course, I was just very, very blessed. Uh, It was a great, genuine surprise. So with that said, the greatest gifts that you all gave me and gave us were, were again, those words, those those kind gestures, that affirmation and and just prayers and knowing that, that you're alongside of us. And Entering into this Christmas season, knowing we only have a few days left till Christmas, yeah, I think back upon different gifts that I received as a child that were really, really great. The kind of gifts that you'd always wanted, but you didn't know it. And so uh, one of them, I remember walking down, I was probably 10 or so, 9 or 10, and I uh, was walking down my hallway um, Christmas morning, and right by the fireplace mantle was a brand new bike. Um, and it was the 90s, and so it was like neon pink and neon yellow, and I was like, yes, this is it. This is what I want to wear, what I want to ride, and then I had a purple to pink gradient helmet, which you can't make up. That's a real thing that I had, and it was great, Um, and now, like, as a parent, I recognize that the gift wasn't just the bike. It was the fact that someone had to put that bike together, right, so that's a whole nother, whole nother layer. Um, Another one that I really appreciate, I remember, was uh, a couple, I think it was a year or so later, and it was just a piece of paper and it was just a wrapping paper just kind of folded over it. Like it wasn't wrapped, it wasn't in a box, it wasn't in a bag, there was nothing. It was just a piece of paper kind of gently covering or being covered by wrapping paper. And I remember just thinking, you know, it was the last gift. I wasn't quite sure, you know, what it was. And you don't really have a lot of expectations when it's not even wrapped properly. And so you're like, okay, well, yeah, we'll see what it is. And I, you know, I undo the tape and I open it up and inside there was a picture of a basketball hoop that my parents had bought and had set up outside. So I got to go outside and just got to start playing basketball and our, our home became the place where the neighborhood kids would come to play basketball uh, even if we weren't there. And so it was a really, really cool gift um, that I really appreciated. 
Maybe you all can think of those gifts like, oh, something I'd always wanted or something that I really uh, was excited about. And then, maybe we have gifts that we, remember, we got and we think of, why did they give this to me? <laughs> like, what is this gift about? And, you know, we did at a youth group the other night, there was a game where it was kind of like a family feud style. And it was like, what are the, what are the top gifts that people like don't really want to get, but they get, and you know, this is from a kid's perspective. And so like number one was socks. And I'm like, yeah, but when you get older, like socks are really nice, you know, like it's nice to get socks. But you know, from a kid's perspective, they're saying socks, they had a few other things too. Um, I remember when we got married, I shared with you uh, that one of the gifts we received that was not on our registry list um, when Steph and I got married was um, like a Christmas tree topper that we never really ended up using. Um, another one that was not on our list but that we received was we opened it up and it was just like a, um, it was very practical, right? Practical gifts are nice. It was a black like file cabinet with like file folders and dividers. And I remember just thinking, why did we get this? Like this is, this is not like, you know, this is not like a, a wedding gift. Do you want to know what gift from our wedding we still use to this day? <laughs> We have all of our IKEA instruction manuals all lined up inside of, inside of that black file cabinet. Um, and it's one of those where sometimes there's gifts that we've always wanted. Sometimes there's gifts that we didn't know we needed. And what we're going to talk about in Christmas is how sometimes those intersect in a way that we are not expecting. Today, we've been, we're concluding our series looking at, it's called King, and it talks about the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus when they recognized we've come, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We've come to worship him. A few weeks ago, we talked about gold and how gold represented that Jesus was King. It was royalty. To, uh, last week, we talked about frankincense and how it was symbolizing how Jesus is the high priest, that the frankincense was mixed with um, the, the, um, the offering that was put right in front of the veil so that the incense that was there, the, it would be lit morning and night and frankincense would be part of the offering that would be rising up over and above the veil in order to enter into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. So we have one gift that has to do with kingship. One gift that has to do with being a high priest. And then we have a gift that's kind of like why did we get this gift? What's the reasoning behind myrrh? Because as we'll see in a few moments, myrrh has um, a couple uses that one makes sense, one kind of makes sense, and one is kind of weird um, to be given as a gift to a young child. So we're going to be in Hebrews 9, but before we do, I need to do some background work looking at the Old Testament. So the first thing is the question is, what was myrrh used for? Why is myrrh something important that we want to see here and why it was a gift that would be given to Jesus as king? The first one is it was used for anointing. It was one of the things that was mixed together for the holy anointed oil. Let's read it together. Um, it'll be on the screen. It's also found in Exodus chapter 30, starting in verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel and a hin of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. So the word that's repeated frequently there is this idea of anointing. 
that this myrrh, this liquid myrrh mixed with those other spices was what they would use to anoint the different, and you'd see this later on if we continue to read, and we won't keep reading that passage for the sake of time, but it talks about how that anointing oil would be used to anoint the different um, uh, instruments inside of the tabernacle that would be used for the holy purposes. It would anoint the tabernacle itself, and then later we see in that passage that it's what they would do to anoint Aaron and the different priests. So myrrh has this connection to anointing, this idea of saying that this is the chosen person, or this is a holy person, or in this case, holy um, parts of the tabernacle that's set apart, and it is chosen, it is anointed. So from the very beginning, Mary and Joseph, when, they're, when Jesus is, you know, he's a toddler, he's a young boy, and the, the, the wise men come, and they give a gift of myrrh, they may think at first, oh, it's anointing. That makes sense because Mary had heard the words from the angels about how this would be good tidings of good news. And she treasured the things the angels said in her heart. So that, that might make sense. Here's where it might be a little tough or a little awkward. Because it could also mean or be used for preparing a body for burial. And if you were going to a baby shower and the gift that someone gave was, I bought a plot so that when your, your child dies at whatever age, I wanted to give this to you. It feels a little, a little, maybe a little off. That we're here to celebrate birth, but yet there's a gift that represents death or points to death. Here's how we see it coming up in Mark chapter 15. This is after Jesus had just died on the cross is where we see the usage of the word myrrh once again. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With, and so with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. So, one, 75 pounds is a lot of anything, but especially of different spices. But notice specifically what spice is the one that gets the most notice and, and is called out. It's the spice of myrrh. So this is a gift that points to anointing. And it's also a gift that we see used again in the New Testament when it's pointing to after Jesus died and his body was broken and they were going to bury him. Myrrh is one of the things that was brought up to help prepare the body. And that was one of the things that uh, the women that were there with him were, they woke up early on what became Easter Sunday. They didn't know it, of course, at the time, but they woke up early to, because they didn't get a chance to finish preparing the body. And so myrrh was important for anointing. It was important because it prepared a body for burial. And then also it had medicinal uses. Now, this talked about how if someone had a fever, sometimes they were given myrrh. Um, if they were not feeling well, myrrh, myrrh, this is my paraphrase, myrrh was kind of like the ibuprofen, right? Like you just kind of take it with the Tylenol, like just something, if it's, you're in pain, here, here's some myrrh. But here's what we see, um, again, when it talks about myrrh, because when Jesus is on the cross and when he's being offered, he's, he's in great pain. He's been up there for hours, He's already been whipped and battered and bruised. He already had the crown on his head, the nails in his wrists and in his feet. He already is in incredible pain. And we'll see here, if you pull the slide up, it says this, that they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. 
Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes, and they cast lots to see what each would get. See, myrrh was also something that would give to to help take the pain away, to numb, to be able to give him, or in this case, anyone who was in that much pain, something to take the edge off. But Jesus didn't take it. Jesus felt the full force of our sin. He felt the full weight of the pain that came with taking our sin upon him. That he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That he felt the father forsaking him. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because for the first time in all of eternity, Jesus was separated with God when he put our sin upon himself. And the pain of being separated from the father was even greater than the pain that he felt on the cross. And yet, he didn't numb himself. And yet, through that sacrifice, he felt all of it. Not so that he wouldn't feel pain, but so that we wouldn't be eternally separated in relationship, from a relationship with God. So that's a very, very brief uh, kind of snapshot of myrrh. Myrrh can also be used as cosmetics. You'll see it in Song of Songs. Um, and it can be used like as a perfume. So it's got some other reasons. But when we look at those three specifically, we see, okay, it has to do with anointing, death, and healing or, or medication. Why then, as we ask the next question, why was this given to Jesus? Why did the wise men say, I know what this baby boy will like, what this young boy will like? Myrrh. So what, what does that point to us? So now if you're in Hebrews chapter 9, we'll, we'll dive into that passage for a few moments together. Starting in verse 22, because the first reason for myrrh is this, to Jesus was that it pointed to his anointing. And here's what it says in verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Let's continue on. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, and now to appear for us in God's presence. We'll stop there for now. The reason we we stop there is that there's two things I want to point out. First is that we highlighted Christ here. And if you read the rest of Hebrews 9 and and, in the passage, uh, Hebrews 7 through 10 hits a lot about Christ as a high priest and that role that he has. But what you'll see specifically is the emphasis again on the word Christ and not Jesus. Now, some of us growing up, I thought growing up that Jesus Christ was like his first and last name, um, that his name was just Jesus and his, you know, so they would say, well, hello, Mr. Christ, you know, like in in the sense if it was his last name, but it's not a name, it's a title. And what that title means is the anointed one. And so when we point to myrrh as the anointing, it's pointing to his identity as the anointed one, the chosen one, the one who in the Jewish mindset, they thought he was going to make an earthly kingdom and to overthrow the governments and unite all of the different tribes from the diaspora, from the separation during the exiles, and they would all be a united Jewish nation again. But what he came to do was not to make a united Jewish nation, but to have a kingdom of God implemented and instituted here on earth, a kingdom that will never end, that his reign would last forever. 
So he's anointed. And so the name Christ and the emphasis on that throughout this section points to him as the anointed one, which draws us back to myrrh. Now, I do want to take a moment, so don't, don't move forward in the pictures yet, but um, I have a couple of pictures I want to show in a second. And I want to revisit what we talked about last week very briefly. That as Jesus being our high priest, we had an idea of what the tabernacle would look like. That there was seven foot wall fence around the tabernacle. And that you would only have one way to enter in to meet with God. In the same way, there's only one way to relate to God now through the relationship with Jesus. They walk in and then you would see the first thing would be the bronze altar where the sin offerings and the guilt offerings were sacrificed on behalf of the sins of the people. And that's as far as the people got because it was only the priests that would then be able to get closer to God. That there would be a, a, a bronze laver or, or where they could wash their hands for any priest that would enter into the holy place. The holy place was the first section of the tabernacle. It was the section that had the table of showbread, the golden lampstand, and then right by the veil, right in front of the veil separating it, it would have the golden altar of incense, the one that would be lit with frankincense, and the prayers would go into the Holy of Holies. And then there'd be that curtain that was five to seven inches thick, and then only then and only then would you be able to see the Holy of Holies, the place where God dwelled. Now, I bring all of that up because that was a, that was a, man-made way for people to see and to understand how far they were from God because of their sin and the sacrifices and steps that would need to take place in order to have a right relationship with him. But we'll see in Hebrews, and we talk about here, there's, this wasn't a sanctuary made with human hands, that what Jesus did, he didn't go into the Old Testament tabernacle. He went into a greater one. So let me give an example of this. Uh, I, I want to show a picture that uh, Steph and I took of the Eiffel Tower. Um, and it was, you know, we went straight up and be able to look from it. And, um, I, you know, I, I can't say much about it because this actually is not the Eiffel Tower in Paris. This is the one in Las Vegas. So it's, it's uh, if in fact, if we go to the next picture, we'll see that it's a similar picture, but um, Iris from our church uh, posted this picture when she went to Paris recently. And that's like the actual Eiffel Tower. From that perspective, it actually doesn't look that different. The perspective we need to see is how much taller and how much bigger the actual one is as opposed to the one in Paris. So if you go to the next slide, you'll see that the actual Eiffel Tower is the one on the far, my right, your left. And, the next, and then the Paris one is about half that size. And so it's a copy. It's a replica. It's not meant to be the actual thing, but it's supposed to point towards it. And so if I told you I went to the Eiffel Tower and all I'm talking about is going to Vegas, would any of you feel like I actually went to the Eiffel Tower? No, you say you, you saw a replica. You didn't get to go to Paris and actually see it. It's a copy or, of the real thing. It's a, it's a picture, it's a shadowing of the real thing. The earthly tabernacle, the, the, all those different steps of the different ways, there's only one way to enter in. There's sin that needs to be accounted for. We wash ourselves clean. There's the table of showbread, which symbolizes relationship and fellowship. There's the golden lampstand, which represents the light of the world. We go and there's the golden altar of incense with the fragrant um, sacrifice and, um, excuse me, the incense that's going over into the Holy of Holies. There's the, there's the gap with the curtain that's five to seven inches thick. And then there's where God dwells. That Jesus went, and if daily, priests would need to go into the earthly tabernacle in order to offer sacrifices. It shows that what 
the priests were able to do was to cover sin. The sacrifices covered sin, but they did not fully take it away. See, not only was the myrrh important for Jesus' gift or gift to Jesus because of the anointing, because he is the anointed one, the Christ, it also points to the fact that from his, before he entered into this world, he was prepared for death. That he was in eternity with God. He was there at the very beginning. He's the firstborn of all creation. Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they're united together. And yet there was a time when God the Son was going to have to die to pay for our sin. We see this, again, um, expanded upon a little bit as we continue in Hebrews 9. Jumping back into verse 25. So, nor did he enter, Jesus, or Christ, enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. In fact, earlier in Hebrews 9, uh, just a couple verses earlier in verse 11 and 12, it's not on the screen, but here's what it says. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. In other words, it's not here on earth. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. But Jesus' sacrifice, he did not bring the sacrifices that other people brought and presented them as the, meat, as, the, as the priest would in the Old Testament. He was the great high priest who entered into the Holy of Holies. And upon his death, the curtain and the veil was torn so that we can have right relationship with God, so we can enter into a relationship with God. And he did it once. That's why we don't have a sacrificial system where everyone still brings sacrifices to be made because Jesus did it once and for all. His body was prepared for burial, for death, from before he came onto this earth, but he lived a perfect life and he died a horrible death so that when he was raised to new life, we may have that opportunity to have eternal life with God the Father through him. So myrrh points to anointing. It points to Jesus' body being prepared for burial from the very beginning and recognizing that it needed to be a greater sacrifice, that the priest and the sacrifice had to be the same person. And then lastly, it had a medicinal or talked about medicine and it helped with the pain. Verse 27, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, I want to emphasize here that Christ came to take away sin. In the Old Testament, it was to cover up the sin. That just like Adam and Eve, when they made fig leaves to cover up their shame, that so much of our lives and so much of time with God is that we try to cover up our sin. We try to hide it. We try to flee. We try to do all these different things. We don't share with people what's going on, really. We hide behind a happy Christian face or a, or a perfect Christian smile. But we know the brokenness. 
We know the pain of our own lives and our own hearts. We know the cracks in our foundation that hurt and, and they cause pain. And yet, when we focus so much on trying to do things on our own, when we think that we could find hope in anything in anyone other than Jesus, those cracks deepen. They don't get filled. And the sin that we have may get covered. We can hide it. But Jesus didn't come to just cause our sin to be hidden. He came to take it away. That if you were to write down a sin that you struggle with on a piece of paper and you put your hand over it, you wouldn't see it anymore, but it would still be there. Now, do we all still sin? Yes, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all do things that we shouldn't do, and we all don't do things we should do, which James 4 talks about is sin as well. The things that we shouldn't do are sins of commission, things that we commit. The good things, the right things that we don't do that, or that we should do that we don't do are the, called the sins of omission, that we omit, that we don't do the right thing. Jesus covers up both of those. The sacrificial system in Leviticus, those first five or six chapters talk about the sin offering and the fellowship offering and the grain offering and the guilt offering. And all of these different types of offerings were made to be made right with God. And Jesus fulfills the need for all of them. That the sin offering for the sins that were done, that's what he does when he takes away our sin. The guilt offering, which was an offering that was made up kind of because we don't even know, if, for all the things that we're guilty of and we don't even know of, you would do an offering. He covers that too. The grain offering that was one that had no blood as part of it, but it was a grain for bread, but it was something that allowed for there to be fellowship and relationship. Jesus, in his sacrifice, allows us to have relationship with God. See, all of the different types of offerings are foreshadowing of what needed to be done to be made right with God, and Jesus fulfills all of them. See, what ends up happening is, is that we don't need just to have our sins covered. We need to be healed. And we don't need to be numbed, like not the numbing part of myrrh, but we need the healing part to come from the inside out. That when 2 Corinthians 5 talks about how we are, the old has gone and the new has come, we are transformed. It's the idea of a metamorphosis. It's the same word we use when we talk about a caterpillar becoming a butterfly after going through the chrysalis. And yet, when the caterpillar comes out of the chrysalis, it's not a better caterpillar. It's not an old creation that's just cleaner and we'll try to do better next time. It's not someone who's trying to earn salvation, to earn hope, to earn that... It's a brand new creation. It looks different, acts different. It's no longer stuck on the ground. It's allowed to fly. See, when we find our hope in Jesus, when he's transformed us, when we've gone through a metamorphosis, we aren't still, yes, we sin, but our identity is no longer sinner, far from God. It's son and daughter who's been forgiven. It's being a co-heir with Christ. It's calling out to God as our Abba Father. It's recognizing that we don't, we're not just better people. We are brand new sons and daughters of the Most High King. So we need the kind of healing that can only come through Jesus. Not the one that covers up our sin, but the one that wipes it clean. 
The one that takes our sin and washes us as clean as white as snow and we are stained crimson. The one who takes the sin as far as the east is from the west and separates that in us. The one who makes us whole, makes us new, gives us hope, gives us joy, shows us the gift love we talked about today that we can't earn. But we can receive it and we can display it to others. See, I think we all, whether we're honest with, when we're honest with ourselves, we try to earn. And the beauty of Christmas, as we heard earlier in the Advent reading, is that we can't earn this gift of Jesus. If we become a Christian in the beginning of our lives and we, we do a lot of good things and we come to the end of our lives and we think we've, we've earned it, we did the right thing, it's great to live a godly life. I am by no means besmirching that, but I'm saying we can't earn that love. It's a gift. We don't feel like we deserve it. We don't, and it's a gift. We don't think we could ever pay it back. We can't, because it's a gift. And the beauty of Christmas is that we recognize the need we have for this great gift. We can't earn it by getting good grades in our classes. We can't earn it by getting promotions in our jobs. We can't get it through the status and the size of our house. We can't get it through the size of our bank account. We can't get it by the trips that we take. We can't get it by earning approval from other people. We can't get it by trying to be perfect in every way. We cannot earn it. And for many of us, there's a, the gift of hope and joy and salvation, this gift love that is at the foot of the cross, not the foot of our Christmas tree, but on the foot of the tree our Savior died on. And some of us are too reluctant to grab it. Why? Because we're too busy trying to pay God back for it. But it's a gift. It can't be earned. It's a gift. See, we started off by talking about the gifts we always wanted. A new bike, even if it's neon. A new basketball hoop. Versus the gift that we didn't know we needed. Socks, file cabinets. What if? What if those two gifts are united at the manger and at the foot of the cross? The thing we've always most wanted is love, acceptance, hope, and purpose, which only comes from Jesus. Many of us, before we recognized who Jesus was, we didn't think we needed a savior because we're basically good people. We choose right more than wrong. We, we try to do the good thing and we'll, 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 we'll do the right stuff. We'll check off the list and we'll check it twice to make sure that we're good. But what if the gift we've always wanted, love, purpose, identity, approval, and the gift we never knew we needed, hope and salvation for our sin, from our sin, is united at the manger and at the cross? What if myrrh ends up being the perfect gift? Not the one that you say, why is this here? But the gift that we look at and we say, I knew, I know now that I needed it and it's given me more than I could have ever hoped for because Jesus who was anointed as the Christ, the one who would live a perfect life, die a horrible death, and be raised to new life. He died that death. He sacrificed himself once and for all, and his body was prepared for burial so that we can have healing and the medicine, not just for our bodies, but for our souls. 
a right relationship with God through him alone. There's a scene from... Uh, we, we, one of the things we started watching more recently with uh, Christmas season and we get to Disney Plus uh, is the Santa Claus um, with Tim Allen. And I don't know if you all know this, there's three of those movies. Um, and so uh, if you don't know the premise, uh, Tim Allen becomes Santa Claus and number one, hilarity ensues. And so, uh, but in the second one, there's a, what's called the Mrs. Claus, which when you talk out loud about movie plots, they always sound way more ridiculous. But in order for him to stay Santa, he has to be married uh, by Christmas Eve, and it's this whole, like, he needs to find someone, and he only has a few days left. And so there's a, a principal of his son's school that now they're starting to, he, he doesn't have a lot of time, but he starts to spend some time with her. And they go to a Christmas party thrown by, she, that she throws as the principal. And in this Christmas party, it is, picture whatever you think an incredible, warm, loving Christmas party is, and get rid of it. <laughs> it's just this sad moment. There's people just kind of sitting in their Christmas sweaters, just looking around and sitting. They're not talking. They're all kind of in their little group separated. And Tim Allen, who, again, he's playing Santa Claus. He's got magic for Santa Claus and things. He ends up, he sees that, you know, this, this woman is feeling how painful this is and how sad everyone is. And he's like, you know what? He goes on a stage like this. There's a Christmas tree like this. And he says, there's a secret Santa. And the woman's like, no, there's, there's not. There's no secret Santa. He's like, no, well, let me go. He goes back. He says, well, what are all these gifts? And then he pulls out the packages. And because he uses his Santa abilities, he looks and he says the name of one of the teachers. He's like, that's, that's me. And the teacher like walks forward. And he's like, oh, your, your mom used to call you JJ, right? Like never met this guy before. Gives him the gift. He opens it up. And it was this, this uh, gift called Toss Across, I think it is. And it was like a, it was like picture cornhole nowadays mixed with tic-tac-toe. So you have like a tic-tac-toe board and you would try to toss it in order to get the X's and O's. And the man who's in his middle age, he's like, Toss Across, I always wanted this gift. And then Tim Allen says, oh, I have another gift for, you know, so-and-so. And, -so. and they, they start coming and it's Rock'em Sock'em Robots. And they're so excited about it. And it's all this stuff. And all of a sudden, all of them are getting gifts. And this room that was weary and discouraged and empty of all joy lights up. And the principal pulls him aside and he says, there's one for you. And it was a gift. It was a doll that she cherished when she was a child. And she's like, it's like, are you stalking us? Like, how do you know all the things that we want? How did you find out about all these things? Because I just told you about this an hour ago. And how she starts to worry about it. And, you know, he, like, he doesn't really explain things at the time. But, you know, he, the, the story continues on. A mistletoe shows up. It's all fine. Here's the point. That was a party where it was just devoid of all joy. They were weary, downtrodden, and difficult. Or having a difficult time. We are in a weary world that needs rejoicing. That these gifts, those, those people didn't earn it, but it was the right gift at the right time in a weary world can bring joy to those around. What if the gifts that we've always wanted and the gift that we never know we needed, what if they were united at the bottom of the tree for Christmas in a manger, but more importantly, at the bottom of the foot of the cross and recognizing that, all that we've hoped for and all that we need can all be found for our Savior who took all of our sin so that all may be invited to eternal life. 
What if we have the opportunity to give the gift that those we know and love that may not know and love Jesus yet, what if we have the opportunity to give them the gift that they've always wanted and the gift they never knew they needed and show them and point to them the fact that those are the same thing in who Jesus is, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the hope, the joy, the peace, and the gift love he has for all of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder that myrrh, that points to anointing, that also points to death, and it also points towards medicinal purposes, God. We recognize that that may have seemed like a gift that Mary would have said, why, is, why did we get this? And yet, it's exactly the gift that all of us needed. It's recognizing that through the anointed one, Jesus Christ, laying down his life and pre prepared for burial, and through that life, death, and resurrection, we can receive the medicine not for our bodies, but for our souls and our hearts. That myrrh is a gift that was given in Jesus, but Lord, we are grateful that we get to reap the benefits of that gift. And Father, I pray that as we um, close, that we will find that our joy in Christmas will not come from having more people to shop for, more events to attend, more Christmas cards to send out, more people to, uh, to try to make events happen. That It's not with more stress, but it's the joy of Christmas and the, the gift love of Jesus Christ, knowing that we cannot earn your love, Jesus, but we can receive it. And this year, may we open up the most important gift, the one we always needed and always didn't know we needed and always wanted, the gift of a relationship with you. May we sit at the foot of the cross and remember you now. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.